Welcome to Medical Minefield, the podcast where we talk about the ethical dilemmas at the heart of the health stories that matter the most. I'm Barney Kalman. And I'm Eve Simmons. And we're health journalists, which means we spend our lives asking tough questions to top experts so you don't have to. This week we're asking why so many dementia patients are prescribed antidepressants when experts say they don't work. As ever, we'd like to know what you think, so if you have a question or a suggestion, then tweet us at MedMinefield. Now, Eve, whenever we cover antidepressants, we seem to get accused of either pushing antidepressants or dragging them, I suppose. I'd like to say that we've done neither. We've highlighted both unusual side effects of antidepressants and also you wrote quite powerfully about how antidepressants had helped you. So I think we can do both, can't we? I think so. I think if anyone was to be accused of pushing antidepressants, it would probably be me (laughs) because I, (laughs) I am quite an outspoken advocate for them. I think they're great. I'm on them right now. You can't <laughs> well, tell, I, listeners. I don't feel influenced by you in this. I, I don't intend to take them. But it's confused people on Twitter. Mm. People have actually said, how can you report on mm. SSRI-related sexual dysfunction and then also say that antidepressants are a good thing? How can you do that? I think we've confused people because we are neither pro nor anti but isn't that the sign of a true journalist? Oh, we are yes. reporting the facts. That is correct. Both things can be true. Things can have positives and negatives. Exactly. However, this story is a bit different. I was really interested to read tweets last week that suggested that large numbers of dementia patients are inappropriately prescribed antidepressants and that in, in the case of dementia that it's a specific kind of depression that that patients suffer from. And so antidepressants don't help at all. So Mm. they're risking side effects. Mm. And yet it doesn't make them feel any better. And and the real difficulty is this patient group might well have some difficulty in actually describing that lack of efficacy. Mm. It's something you've been looking into. Yes, this is something that experts have highlighted over the last kind of 10 or 15 years or so, but it's sort of been lost slightly in the literature. I think because we know that a lot's been said about this chemical kosh that dementia patients are often prescribed. Mm, Sedatives and and antipsychotics. Yes, but not so much attention has been given to antidepressants. Obviously, there's SSRIs that are often prescribed to patients with dementia who seem to be exhibiting depression-type symptoms, which can actually happen throughout the whole course of the illness. It's something that, that is seen in a lot of dementia patients. It's very, very common. And so you would think that the thing to do would be to prescribe the same antidepressants that's prescribed for depression in general, which is SSRIs. But in fact, big, big trials, big studies show that when these antidepressants are prescribed, they actually don't serve any benefit. They don't boost mood at all in dementia patients. Or if they do, it matches a placebo effect. So it's it's no stronger than a dummy pill. But don't you see that with antidepressants anyway, that, that they have a, there's a strong placebo effect in trials. So people just being given something, even mm. if it's a dummy pill, feel better. There is always a placebo effect with antidepressants. You're right. However, we do also see a therapeutic, a very obvious therapeutic effect with antidepressants. It's not just the placebo effect. There are good studies showing that they do work very well in people without dementia. But with dementia, you see this completely different pattern, which is really interesting. Perhaps the most concerning thing about this topic is that 
there are very serious and significant side effects to these drugs for this patient group. So that's not to say that the drugs prescribed to people without dementia are going to have the same types of side effects and of the same severity. It's very specific to dementia patients. What are they? So there have been studies that have shown that SSRIs can increase the risk of falls, which are very serious in elderly people. Also things like dizziness. So that obviously also contributes to falling over and that kind of thing. One drug that's been highlighted many times is a drug called metazapine, which is a newer type of antidepressant that is used most commonly in dementia patients because it has quite a strong calming effect. Well, it's thought to have a strong calming effect, so it's used quite often. And metrazapine has been shown in many, many studies to A, not work at calming agitation in dementia patients. So it's often used when people with dementia become quite anxious and and stressed Mm. out and agitated. But in those circumstances, studies have shown that it's associated with a very high risk of sedation. Mm. Patients just fall asleep and then aren't able to tell people when there's something wrong. Also, there's cases of severe dehydration because a nurse may put a a glass of water there and the patient falls asleep and then doesn't drink um, or doesn't eat enough because they're sleeping too much. And again, you've got the risk of falls, which is really serious. There are many medications as well. Something I didn't realise, you mentioned dizziness. Mm. Many of the medications that are taken to slow the progression of, say, Alzheimer's also carry certain side effects including dizziness and higher doses seem to be more effective but then you have to balance that with how how giddy people feel Mm. and it's the difficulty that patient might have in verbalizing exactly these quite nuanced side effects like Mm. I, I feel dizzy when I stand up you know they might just not stand up much because they can't work out quite why it is that they don't want to stand up and it's just bad. There is a a more serious worry as well that in general, some of these drugs, especially at higher doses, make patients even less cognitively able to function than they would have done. Antidepressants or Uh, metrazapine is is one of the drugs that's been highlighted. But also citalopram has been seen in some studies to another SSRI. Another SSRI, yes, to have a, a sedative effect. I mean you've got to be really careful. These are patients dealing with a very complex illness. Mm that's often long term, you know, we're talking many, many years of living with it, during which time you need to really think about quality of life. Absolutely. And trying to achieve the maximum you possibly can, which all experts say is the key with Mm. with dementia, that, Mm. that trying to keep life as normal as possible for as much as can be allowed is really the best treatment that we have at the moment in terms of slowing Absolutely. progression. Absolutely. So loading people up with a medication they don't need is disastrous. I think the key in this argument as well is that we're talking about balancing the risks and benefits, but with antidepressants and dementia, there really isn't a huge benefit. Mm. So we're not talking about weighing things up. We're just talking about really the risks that are most serious and you're not going to get anything out of it. So is there much point in taking them at all? Well, you've been speaking to a patient this week who has personal experience of this inappropriate prescribing. Yes. On the line now is Tracy Lane, who was diagnosed with dementia in 2015. But before that, she was misdiagnosed with depression, which I thought was fascinating. Tracy, thank you so much for spending some time talking to us today. 
I found it very interesting when we were speaking yesterday that you told me your dementia was in fact first misdiagnosed as depression. Can you tell me a little bit about the types of symptoms that you were experiencing back then? It was very odd, you know, I'd be driving to work and thinking about how I could end my life on the motorway. And it didn't make sense, really, because, like I said, I've got a wonderful husband, Mm. lovely boys and everything to live for. And I just kept having thoughts like that and I couldn't understand it. It didn't make any sense. Gosh. And were you having sort of memory problems and things, other things at the time that were going on as well? Well, a few little ones, nothing major with my memory back then. I mean, it's a lot worse now, but um, sometimes I would, you know, I'd work in the school office, I'd go down and ask the teacher something, coming back to the office and I'd be forgetting it again. And facial recognition and things like that, Mm. you know, recognising people, it was um, that sort of thing, really. And so the GP at first prescribed you some antidepressants? Yeah, I had antidepressants for quite a while. And did you find that that made any difference to how you felt? Did you feel, I don't know, it gave you a boost at all? No, not really. And then it took a couple of years, didn't it, to finally get a diagnosis? You were going back and forth and then eventually they they referred you. What, What kind of sparked that referral? Had things taken a bit of a downturn? Yeah, I was having problems and the, and the doctor asked me some questions. Oh, my husband's here, cognitive tests, is it like? Yeah. Then they referred me to Windmill House, the memory clinic. Yeah, eventually it took a little while to get there. And even then when we got there, I remember me and Mike going back in to find out what was wrong and them saying they couldn't work out what it was. It was basically, it took until I had a special brain scan spect scan so and i think probably those scans are very expensive to do i don't know why if if that's what puts off being done earlier on i don't know and you have been put on antidepressants after your diagnosis as well haven't you can you tell me a little bit about that have you found that helpful at all yeah i do find them a bit more helpful the ones i'm on are is the strongest dose you can have that's the only thing i can't have anymore but yeah it helps a bit and have you had any side effects or negative experiences with them? Do they make you very sleepy or anything like that? Um, no, not really. I, I don't have any major side effects of them. You know, I would highly recommend them to somebody if they really needed that sort of thing. Can I ask, did the intrusive thoughts that you were having, these difficult thoughts, did they go away? Well, they did, to be honest. The only reason they went away eventually, I think, is because I wasn't working anymore, so I didn't have to try and do all those things I was struggling with. And I wasn't driving anymore because when I was diagnosed, they do this driving test thing you have to do. Mm. I managed to keep my driving license for a few months. I think it was six months or something. And then eventually they took it away. Mm. And so I couldn't think those thoughts anymore (laughs) because I wasn't driving. Oh, I see. So, yeah, you weren't behind the wheel. That's right. Do you think maybe back then that all of the things that were stressing you out in life were adding to the problems that you were having you know organizing yourself or remembering people's faces do you think it was all getting on top of you a lot because you were having to deal with it all when those stresses were taken away you got better or felt better rather yeah I think it was I think it was yeah to a certain degree that's right it's like now when I I still use my Facebook account because I like to keep in contact with friends and family and 
people I went to school with and worked with. But even that is frustrating sometimes because I often have to ask my husband who so-and-so is. And that's a bit frustrating, but nobody else has to know about it, do they? It's just, no. you know. <laughs> and do you, do you think that maybe all the other things that have happened, so, you know, changes to make your life more manageable have had a, a more of a, an impact on your mood and those intrusive thoughts than the antidepressants did? Um, I don't know. I think it's a bit of both, really, probably. It's difficult to really put a finger on it, isn't it? Yeah, so. yeah. I yeah. think um, they both work together. But I just find, to be honest, the busier I am, the better. The more I'm doing things and mixing with other people mm. is better, always is. Tracy, do you still find that you have days where you feel very down and you get some, some not very nice thoughts? Does that still happen for you? Occasionally, unfortunately, yeah. Mm. Not mm. not as much, but now and then, yeah. I try and be more positive because I know I've got lots of friends with different types of dementia that are far worse than mine. So, you know, you've got to be positive and think of I'm actually lucky. Absolutely. Well, that's a yeah. great note to end on. Thank you so much, Tracy, for joining us and um, good luck with everything. That's OK. Thank you. You take care. I find that really interesting because when I spoke to Tracy yesterday, she actually said to me that she didn't think that the antidepressants she's on were helping much. She said that she still has quite a lot of days where she feels very low. And Mm -hmm. she doesn't think that they've made a huge amount of difference. But she did say that lots of other things like making plans, keeping her daily life functioning as it was before, as much as it can do, seeing friends, etc. Those types of things have helped her loads more than the pills, perhaps. Even a diagnosis of dementia takes a very long time. People often say that they are given a probable diagnosis, first of all, or or they might say it took doctors a really long time to diagnose me. All, all dementia diagnoses are done over sometimes many years mm. because it's not the kind of diagnosis you want to get wrong mm. for a start. Mm. And the symptoms could be all kinds of things. I mean... In acute phases, some kinds of urinary tract infections can cause dementia-like symptoms in Mm. elderly people. Mm. I mean, that's just one of many, many examples of things that could seem like dementia but but aren't. And often it's once everything's been excluded and you still see this pattern of progression that they will make that diagnosis, even even before a brain scan. Mm. I mean, Tracy had a brain scan that showed something up, mm. but you, you can be diagnosed before that. And, and you can display many symptoms of dementia before anything is shown on a, on a brain scan. Especially, I think, in Tracy's case, because she was incredibly young. I think she was only 50 when she was diagnosed. Mm. Obviously, it's very unlikely that, it, that the diagnosis would be dementia at that age. So lots of other things and possible conclusions are explored before. Well, next, let's see what a doctor has to say about all this. On the line now is Shubi Banerjee, who is Professor of Dementia at the University of Plymouth and helped develop the UK government's National Dementia Strategy. Professor Banerjee, why do you think that so many dementia patients are being prescribed antidepressants despite the fact that they don't work? So I imagine that there are two main reasons for that. First, that many of the people who are prescribing the medications don't realise that they don't work. So that will be the first thing. The second is that there are very real problems and issues that people with dementia face, and that includes depressive illnesses and things that look like depressive illnesses, 
for which one might think antidepressants might work, and also other behavioural problems in dementia, psychological problems in dementia, issues like agitation and antidepressants are certainly prescribed for people for what looks like depression in dementia and also for other symptoms like agitation in dementia. You say things that look like depression, but I mean, what exactly do you mean? That it's not depression, but it looks like it. What, what is it? What, what are we looking at? So I think that what we have with depression in dementia is something that is a complex state rather than a simple state. We're very clear about depression as an illness. It's a, a real and severe condition. Uh, it can affect people of all ages. And antidepressants are really good, effective treatments for depression in people without dementia. But actually, when you have dementia, the, the symptoms that we use to diagnose dementia are sometimes the same as the symptoms that are there for depression. So there are there is complexity when you have both symptoms of depression and dementia. And I think there are at least three groups of people with depressive symptoms in dementia. The first are those people who do have a classical depressive disorder and also have Alzheimer's disease or another dementia. And depression is a common disease in later life, and those two will coexist in some people. I think for some people, there is also something that looks like depression in that there may be social withdrawal, there may be emotional ability, but actually that's not depression. That is a function of the neurodegenerative process that is there in, in dementia. And I think a third group, there's likely to be people who do have symptoms of depression, but the depression itself becomes less treatable because of the concomitant process that's there in the neurodegeneration that's associated with dementia. So essentially, it's a complex problem that people try to treat in a simple way that simply doesn't work. I mean, it's been said that antidepressants don't work for many patients with dementia, despite the fact that a quarter of them are prescribed them. What's the problem, just to spell it out, with giving people antidepressants inappropriately? So, so you're absolutely right. The evidence, as far as we have it, is actually very clear about the capacity of antidepressants to treat depression in dementia. We carried out a large trial, the SAD trial, across the United Kingdom, that basically tested two of the most common sorts of antidepressants against placebo to work out whether they worked for depression and dementia. Now, these are antidepressants that really do work for people with depression without dementia. But we found absolutely clearly, absolutely definitively, that both antidepressants showed no effect whatsoever in people with depression and dementia. They did show twice the side effects. So essentially, you have no effect but you do have side effects if you take antidepressants for depression in dementia. That's in a large group of people coming to services across the United Kingdom. We did a, a second study looking at agitation in dementia because antidepressants are often used for agitation in dementia. And we again found that those drugs were no better than placebo when compared to another group that had received treatment as usual. What kind of side effects are we talking about here? So we're talking about all of the side effects you would expect from antidepressants. So they could be nausea, drowsiness, gastrointestinal symptoms, dizziness, all of the things that, that are associated with antidepressants. They happen twice as often in the people receiving antidepressants compared to the people receiving placebo, as you would expect. 
you and some of the best known dementia experts have long talked about these these problems. So who is doing the prescribing? The vast majority of prescription of antidepressants for people with dementia are made in primary care. The, the question is, why, why is this being done? Well, I think one of the reasons must be that it appears a simple and doable thing to prescribe an antidepressant, whereas trying to do all of the other things that one might need to do in order to assess an individual as carefully as one needs to, to find out why they are depressed or why they are agitated, and then to put that treatment plan into place is a really complicated thing for primary care to do. I guess also we know that memory clinics have closed up and down the country. Well, they, yeah, I was literally just about to say the same thing that I was with a, a friend of mine who has a, an Alzheimer's diagnosis and uh, she saw her consultant for the first time in two and a half years mm. or something like that the other day. So, I mean, it's a, it's a, yeah. an awful situation that patients are in right now. And GPs, I guess there's not and a lot GPs well, can do. I mean, it's not surprising that GPs are, are, are desperate to help. Mm. No, I, and I think that's right. I think that what we're seeing with this prescription of antidepressants is GPs really identifying that there is a problem and seeking to deal with that problem through the things that they have to hand. Now, I think that one can see depression in dementia, agitation in dementia, as a place where there is complication in dementia. And for me, that's the reason why people should be referred, you know, back to the memory service they were diagnosed or to older people's mental health services, because they do have the skill to be able to look Mm. in the round at what's going on. They do have the skill to be able to watchfully wait to see whether the symptoms uh, go away. And they do have the skills to deploy non-drug treatments that do work. But this is, I mean, this is the issue for every patient that GPs were recently criticised for overprescribing to the general population, when in fact, it's absolutely impossible to get a psychotherapy appointment on the NHS. So GPs are in this dreadful situation in which they have distressed patients in need of something and nothing to offer if they don't offer antidepressants. I have immense sympathy for my colleagues in primary care. A lot of people I've trained with are primary care doctors. And I think what that what we have is a problem in that the specialist services that are needed to treat people with dementia, to help people with dementia, when things get complicated, simply are not commissioned by the system that we have at the moment to be there to be able to deal with the numbers and to be able to, do, to continue having people on their books when there continue to be problems. And so GPs are essentially rationing the referrals they make to those services and therefore providing what they can, but what they can give for depression and dementia is often not what is needed by people with dementia. And what should be done? So I think that if one was to look at what the evidence suggests for somebody for example, presenting with depression and dementia, then the first thing that one would need to do is to take a step back and try and work out what's going on, why an individual may be being depressed. I think that at that point, what one does is one talks to the individual with dementia. It's really important to talk to a family member as well, because they will have a much clearer idea of what's going on as well to see how this has been affecting people. And I think at that point, one makes an assessment about the next best thing to do if there isn't an absolutely acute risk to the individual or to other people. The thing to do at that point is probably to reassure people 
and to watch and wait and see what happens over three to six weeks. Many cases that look like depression will resolve during that time. If that still persists at that time, then I think that is a good reason to refer people to secondary care services, to mental health services. And I think what those individuals would do would, again, look to see what's underlying it, would look to see whether there are non-drug treatments that could be given to individuals, which can, can work, and then only prescribe antidepressants when there is a, a real need for them, when we've been through those other non-drug treatments. Mm. Uh, just uh, to give a, a personal anecdote here, I was uh, told by a friend that their partner had been, who has a kind of dementia, had been struggling to sleep, had been waking in the night, that, that it, it was a real worry, this insomnia which they all thought that this chap had and looking for ways to tackle the insomnia. And it was only when a friend of, of theirs was staying over and realised that in that bedroom there was an incredible draft, and it made the room very, very cold. And that was probably what was causing the, using air quotes here, patient to wake up in the night. It was only at that point it became apparent that something that the the patient themselves couldn't verbalize they didn't quite know what was going on so it wasn't insomnia it was a very cold room and once they sorted out the cold room that insomnia was remedied so i guess my point is that these things aren't always very straightforward are they that they take detective work and time to really find out what's the cause of issues for a patient with dementia because they they can't always say I think that that is absolutely correct. It's all about looking for the causes of the problems that are being exhibited. Many antidepressants are used for agitation. And agitation may be because somebody is constipated or because they are, you know, worried about somebody who is coming in to, to help them with bathing, for example. It could be about noise that's around. It could be about light that's around. All sorts of things, like the cold that you're talking about. And I think that ha having someone who is able to take that step back to make that clear assessment, to take time to be able to talk to people to find out what's going on so we can understand what the causes are and then give advice to address those causes. And that's really what I'm talking. When I talk about non-drug treatment, that's what it's about. It's about problem solving to be able to find out whether things, you know, how one might create a solution rather than see it as a problem. And then, you know, that sort of planning care can be tremendously useful for people with dementia, but it takes time, it takes a bit of confidence, and it really isn't the sort of things that primary care services are set up for. I think it is the sort of thing that should be available through good quality multidisciplinary older people's mental health services that are there to help at those points where people with dementia are having troubles. Well, Professor Banerjee, it's been fascinating to talk to you. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's a pleasure. Thank you. I remember years ago before I started writing about these things regularly and before I knew people with dementia, um, I would have said, and, and I've heard other people say this, if ever it happens to me, put me down. Give me a, you know, give me a, a shot in the, over, over my head. Yes, give me a shot in the back of the say, head mm. rather than have, have dementia. I always think back to that kind of fear and, and, and lack of understanding that I probably had about the condition. And I'm not saying that it's a walk in the park. It's it's a life limiting illness. Mm. And yet people do live with it for a very long time. Mm. 
often and it's it's about making sure life is as, as good as possible because it, it tends to affect people not always but it tends to affect people during the later years of their life yeah uh, the, the most common age of diagnosis is 80 plus i believe mm. or that, that once you get to that age the p- proportion of people with dementia is quite high mm. compared to younger years and yet you still can live a decent life for a longer time than you might think it's not it's not suddenly a dementia diagnosis and then you know that's it you don't recognize your own children interestingly one of the types of therapies that's being piloted at the moment by um, professor rob howard who's an old age psychiatrist at ucl um, and is a a kind of big uh, thinker and researcher in this space is a type of therapy that involves adjusting patients' expectations of what they can do after their diagnosis. So a great source of frustration for patients is often, and this can lead to depressive type symptoms, is often that mismatch between what you think you can do and what you actually can do now that you have the mm. illness. And so... Well, like, um, like having to give up your driving licence, for instance. Exactly. I, I wrote about our friend mm. Bonnie Estridge, who, mm-hmm. long-time colleague of mine, who was sadly diagnosed with with Alzheimer's a few years back and um, finally gave up her driving licence maybe a little bit later than she should have. Well, it can be subtler uh, than that as well. Professor Howell was saying that it's about, you know, looking at something that you really enjoy doing and working out a way that you can still do it, but in a slightly different way. That means you're not going to be disappointed with your own capabilities because, you know, I don't know, maybe you realise that you forget the way home when you walk through a certain route and so therefore if you walk a different route or maybe walk with somebody there and somebody meets you talk you back and that way you you still do all the things but you're just not setting yourself up to fail. Mm. The impression I get is that antidepressants have been prescribed in dementia for such a long time and it's so commonplace but it's almost not really thought about as something that is particularly controversial Mm. or different from the norm and therefore... You just prescribe it, and some- but there was also something that was being said here that this is—it's a symptom of the general massive yeah. overload of the system. Better to do something rather than nothing. Mm. And we've got a completely dysfunctional mm. mental health system mm. within the NHS that that cannot deal with the situation as it is. So, what, what you know? what other options are there i mean it's it sounds like such a an involved process i mean you know i'm not kidding you know i i know people with dementia who haven't seen a consultant for god knows how long mm. what are people supposed to do and i mean these services aren't you know they're not all sitting with their feet up but what i mean we often get letters from readers don't we from really desperate relatives of people who have dementia saying my husband or wife or whoever father, mother has just been diagnosed and I don't know what to do. There's nowhere to turn because the truth is, apart from the charities, there really isn't anywhere to turn. You may get referred to a memory clinic if you're lucky, but whether you're going to get much face-to-face contact with anyone there is, I mean, not guaranteed. And I guess the worry is that if you tell GPs, right, don't prescribe antidepressants, only refer to memory clinics if you see these symptoms because you're not equipped to tell the difference between depression coexisting with dementia and complicated dementia that displays like depression which of course they're not going to be cut out to to diagnose then you do risk missing all those people that that might go and then you know try and drive themselves into a 
football or whatever. Well, something that I thought was really interesting that a lot of the experts said to me is that it's particularly an acute problem in nursing home and care home settings because you have a patient who's extremely agitated and maybe then just not being tended to properly by a nurse and they don't get any contact time because the staff are always very busy and something in the room is disturbing them. A bit like the doctor was saying that we spoke to, you know, it can be something really simple like harsh, particularly harsh lighting or a noise or if they have a communal room, there's a programme that's on the television that they really don't like for some reason. It's oh, no, kind of rooted feels. in... Yeah, me too. <laughs> don't we all? And that's what's making them particularly frustrated. But without a specialist dementia-trained nurse or clinician who knows to look out for these things, then they're not, not going to get spotted and the person's just going to be prescribed drugs to calm them down. Oh, Eve... I just sometimes I think it's not well it's (laughs) it's pretty depressing yeah sometimes I think that it's not dementia that scares me now it's just the complete chaos of the NHS system I think it scares everyone so when when we break down what the bloody hell is going to happen I'm sure there'll be a phone number you can call 111 (laughs) (laughs) it'll probably ring out well, on that cheerful note, that's all we've got time for. But you can read all about this and all the latest health news in this weekend's The Mail on Sunday, which you can consume in good old-fashioned newspaper format on mailplus.co.uk and on the Mail app. We'll be back with another topic on Medical Minefield next week. See you then. Goodbye. Goodbye.